0: Hello and welcome to the menu, Monaco's food and drink programme. I am Marcus Hippi. In the next thirty minutes, Israeli-born chef Aaron Tibion on how he set out to create a restaurant that celebrates the wilder side of London
1: Soho, and how dining should be more fun. And I was like, Yeah, it's delicious. It's a tartar. He was like, you serving ox heart raw. And I was like, yes, <laughs> and art is the size of your head.
0: We'll also head to Zurich to hear how Elif Oskan created one of the city's culinary hotspots, that has proven that Turkish food is about much more than just kebabs.
2: To share the food and the dialogue and a feeling and ourselves, it's so social, so beautiful, and so natural.
0: All that in the next thirty minutes ahead here on the menu. It's been a busy start of the year in the hospitality sector here in London. There have been a number of high-profile restaurant openings and one of them belongs to the Israeli-born chef Aaron Tibi. His new restaurant, Kapara, has just opened in Soho and Aaron joined me in the studio to talk about what he has created, how the restaurant is meant to be all about fun and how the place may have the most extravagant basement floor. Let's have a listen.
1: So my first restaurant, Balabaya in Southwark, in the, just behind the Tate Modern, uh, I've wanted to bring the, I call it, the sights and sounds of Tel Aviv, which is a, you know, sun-bleached city with the youthfulness attitude to everything. It's very laid back, but very respectful to, towards the hedonistic side of things. And with Balabaya in Southbank, I couldn't push the boundaries so far. So it was about vivid strong flavored food um you know uh, we're doing we have a whole fermentation bar with gazole which is cordial that we ferment from leftovers of the kitchen and uh, the music playlist which i dj myself which was an amazing success in southwark and i always wanted to to find a spot in the west end in the stress zone of the West End. I think it's interesting to bring that madness even further.
0: You just said that you wanted to push the boundaries a bit more. I'm wondering how much of that relates to the environment and the context where this restaurant is because you now have this place in Soho.
1: Yes, exactly. So uh, me walking in Soho for the first day that I came here 15 years ago, I came here with one suitcase to to study in Cordon Bleu as a very poor student. And uh, I lived in a bed seat in uh, Fifth Street for a couple of months in the beginning. And every day I left to school and I was like, this is where I want to be. And uh, in my wildest dream, I imagine that 15 years later, I will open that big fat lady in the middle of Seoul with my own private courtyard and late license and a very, very big, deep program for fun, basically. Fun dining, we call it, not fine dining.
0: How do you explain that? What is fun for you?
1: So for me fun um, fun dining is a place of uh, escapism in a good way like it's a place that, that I can go in be myself order whatever I want try my try new things push my personal flavor boundaries being exposed to to music to people to attitude uh, to smells to sounds i wanted to bring that kind of like edginess of south tel aviv which is like the art district of tel aviv it's called nevezet and uh, we try to push the boundaries in terms of, like, bringing, bringing food that is very engaging, smoking, very natural food, head-to-tail cooking, uh, introducing cuts that not really been served in London before.
0: What kind of cuts are you talking about, for example?
1: Um, it's funny. I don't know if I should say this on the radio. <laughs> but I had a health and safety inspection yesterday from the council,
0: uh-huh.
1: And he looked at me. He was like, I came because I read the menu. And you serving an ox heart, and I was like, "Yeah, it's delicious. It's a tartar." He was like, "You serving ox heart raw," and I was like, "Yes." <laughs> and the ox heart is the size of your head. It's like this size. It's massive, and it's a, it's a it's a part that all butchers usually throw away because nobody ordered that. And um, I know from like you um, Muslim community in in Jaffa. They, they eat all the offals of, of the animal, and some of them they eat raw. So I took it the inspiration from them, and I, I do like basically it's an it's a ox heart tartare with black olive caviar and tartare of quince as well. So we call the dish quince of hearts. So, <laughs> um, play, you know, a little bit play in, in the, on, on words and, and fun, but also a very strong message of sustainability, head to tail cooking, um, something a bit different. Than, than the mainstream. And I think what COVID brought us, it brought us all those home recipes and authentic recipes and rustic recipes, which is, it's great. But like, I missed going to a restaurant or for things that I cannot cook at home. And I will never dare to put in my mouth at home. And I would trust the chef to do it perfectly balanced for me to enjoy something brand new.
0: I think it's amazing the way you described this restaurant. You talked about the importance of music, all this food that's engaging and also meeting people. I'm wondering, can you create a restaurant space that somehow encourages you to meet new people as well, so you're not stuck with the same two people you so often go for
1: dinners with? A hundred percent. I made sure the tables are so close to each other. (laughs) Some of them are literally shoulder to shoulder. And, you know, with, um, with a very dim light, with a very sexy atmosphere... Uh, people do tend to look at each other's table and, and engagement starts inevitably. Uh, either on the chef's counter, so in the basement we'll have like a, a counter facing the kitchen and literally customers pointing at things to the chef who's like what's that can I have that or what's on his table and then some guy I saw some customer feeding another customer I saw another one customer taking her heels and putting her legs up (laughs) Uh, and I was like if I manage to make people feel so comfortable with in the orange shell in a place that's supposedly luxurious but actually very relaxed and soft and cuddly um, so I may, I've done something it's right not,
0: It sounds like you're doing well I think there's another yeah. interesting thing you, you, thing you just said you said that the
1: environment is sexy how have you created that and what does that mean? That's a very good question um, so I, I couldn't be blind to what Soho is all about You know, Soho is a place to be to, you know, it's a theatre land, music land clubbing, bars, you name it I mean lots of sex industry and so on and so forth so it, it has to be inside Kapara as well so I took an illustrator, very, very, very talented one, and we made a, a tile, like we draw a tile of um, sexual organs <laughs> on the tile. But the way we drew it that when you walk into the toilet and you see that tile, it mm. looks like an authentic Persian tile, but it just take a couple of looks for you to understand what it is. It's not an ox heart. I can tell you that, um, no, it's not an ox heart, but I can tell you that um, it invites trouble sometimes. <laughs> but it's good, it's good. We're like, you know, like, uh, I love the fact that people have that escapism in my place. Mm. And for me, it's everything.
0: This question sounds so funny when I ask it after what you just described, but can you tell me what happens in the basement?
1: Yes. It's not just any basement. So when you walk into Kapari, the, the, what you see is like very bright, comfortable, very lots of sofas, lots of plants, lots of palm trees, cocktails, um ceiling fans. It's a very relaxed atmosphere, very tranquil. Sort of like oasis in the middle of trash land in a good way. Um, but when you go down to the basement, the color of the walls changing to black, so it's become very dark. All the walls are covered with uh, golden mirrors. You have your own private bar if you hire that basement, but also that basement become a, a party basement when we throw the program of uh, DJ artists. Uh, last time we had Vogue dancers. People danced on the counter of the kitchen at some point. It's really kicked off quite quite well. That basement is like lots of neon work with a black wall, so you can imagine it's very um, uh, red light district kind of feel down there.
0: I think it's also interesting because yeah. because I know you mentioned before we started this interview that you don't like basements normally. They're yes, quite, they're quite challenging spaces for restaurateurs.
1: Yeah, exactly, it's a very it's a very big challenge because there's um, fire regulations that basically you have to have narrow staircase with doors. And it's very boring to go to a basement with narrow staircase and doors, but that's for fire hazard. So I found a way to build a fire system basically that protects from fire, but to create a big, wide, grand staircase that's going to this basement. So people are going down the basement, they think they're going to the same uh, scenery as the ground floor, but then they, they get this controversy like that they get the, they're suddenly going into this dark, sexy den. Um, and that's what I liked it. The more we elevated the basement, the better I liked it. Then I invested in a very big sound system that the, the room is completely soundproof so I can whack the volume as much as I want. I basically get the vibe through the kitchen, through the drink, through the music, through the, the lighting, the setting, all together.
0: Amazing. You mentioned something about the food already, but can yeah. you tell me what you think are the current star dishes on the menu? What are you most proud of? Oof,
1: sounds like, like asking a mother who's her favourite child. I know. <laughs> um, so I think uh, it's the playful food. Um, there is a, a whole fish dish that we basically, at the moment it's a, it's a red snapper or a grouper, but one to two kilo size fish. It's really big. And there's like a whole show around it that the fish come and then it's smothered with a which is like pastis kind of uh, liquor uh, and butter sauce. And dressed and then a, a, a way to basically teach you how to eat a fish, head to tail, include how to suck in the brain of it. <laughs> but um, I like the the education behind the food, you know, like to teach people not just to eat a filet. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, also, I, um, one of the things I found mind-boggling, like is a dish that's called cod chops. And it's cod chops, it's basically a cut that's getting completely wasted by Fish, fish and chips chops so fish and chips chops you know they have the cod loins and then all the rest of the fish goes to the bin so apparently around the neck there is a two big fat juicy triangles with a bone that looks like lamb chops um that they're going to the bin mm-hmm. so i found a supplier that supplies usually for, for fish chip shops and i asked him can i buy the, the, the collar?" he looked at me like Mad, a madman yeah. uh, but this become like it's, it, now it's crusted with a polenta and it's dipped in lemon verbena syrup so it's like a bit sweet spicy tangy really finger licking good kind of dish uh, there is another dish called prawn baklava which is a signature from Balabaya that I brought over and it's basically mimicking the famous baklava dessert but with king prawns so we replace the shell of the prawn with the kadev pastry we dip it in Persian lime syrup Yogurt, rose water, pistachio—it's like a baklava but savory take on it. There is another one called wasted, which is again, again, it's a, a black and white ink pasta that we serve with the, the prawn shell that we remove. We make it a bisque out of it, and then the the meat from the head of the cod we put we flake into that dish. So. This, there's a lot of synergy between the dishes just to make sure to use everything. It's, a, it's about sending a me- strong message that we as restaurant are leading, leading that sustainability revolution and, and, we, and we, can, we have to put it in people's face on the menu, the way we serve, the way we talk about it and so on and so forth.
0: Aaron he be there, his new restaurant Caparas just opened in London, Soho. Up next to the week's food and drink headlines, here is Monaco's Monica Lilis.
3: Toblerone will remove the Matterhorn Mountain Peak from its packaging, the chocolate makers have announced. The brand is planning to move its production from Switzerland to Slovakia, meaning it can no longer use Swiss iconography due to strict legislation on so-called Swissness. The 2017 laws restrict the use of the national flag, as well as other indicators of Swiss provenance in food, industrial products and services. The brand's owner, Mondelez, have said it will be replaced with a more generic Alpine summit. A Spanish court has sentenced a former Mexican beauty pageant contestant and her Dutch-Romanian partner for the theft of 1.6 million euros worth of wine. The couple were arrested after 45 bottles of fine wine Went missing from the 3 Michelin Star, a trio restaurant in Caceres in October 2021. Identified in court as Priscilla Guevara and Constantine Dimitrou, the pair will each serve at least four years in prison on charges of aggravated robbery. They were also ordered to pay more than 750,000 euros in damages. A US appeals court has ruled that the name Gruyere can now be used to label cheese made outside the region of the same name in France and Switzerland. Upholding a prior decision, the Court of Appeals in Virginia found that Gruyere is a generic term used for a number of cheeses. In a statement, Swiss and French groups expressed their disappointment, but stated they will continue to vigorously pursue their efforts to protect the name. Those are the week's food and drink headlines Now back to Marcus.
0: Thanks Morning Cup. You are with Monocle24. Up next, we continue to Switzerland. Thanks to chef Elif Oskan, Turkish cuisine is now seen as much more than just kebabs. Located in the heart of Zurich's Kreisviertel, Oskan's restaurant Gül has quickly become one of the city's most exciting culinary hotspots. In her brand new book, Cuisine, the passionate cook celebrates local dishes from the city of Gaziantep. She shares her most beloved recipes from baklava and köfte to dolmas and borek. For Oskan, cooking is more than just preparing ingredients. It's about appreciating culture, family and friendship over a meal. Monaco's Miriam Tumbul sits down with Elif over a Turkish coffee to talk about the delights of sharing at the table and the importance of honouring heritage through food.
4: Turkish chef Elif Oskan calls her book a snapshot of her 33rd year of life. She offers generous insights into the paths that she has taken and the many plates that she has created as a chef. All gathered in her book, it's a beautiful homage to Turkish cuisine. The bewitching spices, sumac, cumin and pole beaver. The rows of kebab skewers and peppers that are roasting over fire. And the social aspect of a meal. No matter if big or small, simple or elaborate, in the end, the most important ingredient is the act of sharing.
2: The most beautiful thing about sharing is uh, sharing an emotion or a feeling and I think let's start with something very simple and it's uh, joy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you experience something very, very exciting, if you experience something, um, I don't know, like groundbreaking for yourself, for your life, for your path, then you really want to share, no? You want to share with people you love. You want to share with people um, that you know uh, or care or listen. And I think food is a—it's also a message, you know. My mama always told me, and uh, always at home, she said, "The way we feel while we cook is the way someone receives the food." No, and this is something. Um, very beautiful and very personal, and I'm I'm so happy that sharing is so popular, you know, as well because um, that's the way I grow up, and I'm so sure as in so many different uh, countries and ethnics, we eat basically the same, and there are so many similarities, uh, and this is so beautiful about us, you know, mm. and to share this uh, on a table, to share the food and the dialogue and a feeling and um, ourselves. And To a certain point, it's so social, so beautiful, and so natural. Mm-hmm. It's our habit. It's our habit. It's naturally born with us. You know. I mean. So that's why sharing is so important mm-hmm. because it's so much beautiful.
4: Elif is not only a chef that cooks from the heart, but also seems to be an entrepreneur at heart. Together with her partner Marco Stöckle, who runs Restaurant Rosie in the city, she recently opened up her bakery Güll Express to feed hungry commuters at Zurich Hauptbahnhof. Wasn't writing a cookbook the logical next step? She shakes her head and puts on her typical Elif smile.
2: The first thought I had um, too, that I really wanted to share something um, written with maybe a bigger crowd or people who are interested in uh, in, uh, what's going on, it was uh, I think in 2000 and 17 or 18 I had the chat but it was such a big thing or story I wasn't ready for it at all and then I got asked literally in 2019 if I want to do it and I was like no I'm not ready for it because it takes so much time you know and uh, it's not just putting something like writing something down or um, like an easy thing you know this is print and uh, print is so important and it's uh, so it's something you you value just differently. you know, you have it in your hand. It's also it's it's physical and it's very sen- sen- sensual as well, you know, you can feel it, you know. So um I really wanted to take the time and mm-hmm. and and I'm so happy because the time showed yeah. me that, hey, I really want to share those things, and I can't speak for anybody else than myself. and um, and I'm happy that I did because, you know. Any recipe I, I do or I cook, it has my personal touch because I'm Elif cooking any recipe. Mm-hmm. If it's a recipe in the book cuisine or is it a recipe I'm, I'm cooking out of another book, it will never taste the same. That's why you always feel like, oh my God, uh, that
4: dish from my mom or for my grandma is so fantastic. She wanted to dig deep into the vast history of Turkish cuisine for her book and found her teachers in her mom and extended family who generously offered their secrets for ekmek and bulgur salad.
2: I mean, 10 years ago I was not really fancying to meet any friends of my mom in my, I don't know, day off. And now it's really like, oh my god, finally this lady got time and she cooks the dish for me. So I understand it because it's such a regional kitchen as well and it's not there is not so many access to like um to history about turkish food even if it's like a heritage like a super old food culture you know and yeah it makes me dig deeper in it and it makes me more curious of course and uh, it's something i really enjoy as well because it's like you're turkish and you eat food but the country is so big it's uh, it got eight regions and they cook so differently. Mm-hmm. It's really crazy. Even if it's the same dish, you won't mm-hmm. find it the same way as like in another city. Mm-hmm. This makes it so interesting and mm-hmm. makes me so curious as well. Like, hey, I really wanna write it down as you know, as much as I can and maybe someone else has access to it and can help me out, you know, with the information I might need mm-hmm. to finish mm-hmm. the
4: story. Elif Oskan grew up in a Turkish household in Switzerland. Her parents fled Turkey with the hopes and dreams to offer a better life for their children, which they did. Elif's father, Baba, can often be met at her restaurant, greeting and serving guests, and clearly being proud of his daughter, Elif, and who she has become. Cooking Turkish, but with Swiss ingredients, is her platform to be who she really is. I think it's just
2: figuring out who you are and where you come from, Mm -hmm. as well. Because through to this kind of, sometimes you feel stuff and you don't have an answer for Mm -hmm. it. And um, I do feel a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, for everyone has a different rhythm, but 25, 26, you also try to understand, hey, or try to question, why do I feel that way? Mm -hmm. And why do I get angry about this topic and no one else in the room? why do I feel so emotion emotionally about it? Uh, why do I feel so much happiness? Mm-hmm. You know, it, and this is like doesn't matter if you hear sound, if you hear, if you uh, smell something, if you taste something, um, if you are in a conversation with someone, and you really feel it, like it goes really crazy, and you wanna. I really, I'm someone. I really want to understand it. I really want to have an answer for it.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: and I think. Food makes this possible for me, also cooking Turkish, um, and also feeling confident doing it, you know, and this is something uh, very big, feeling
4: confident with who I am and where I come from. And how Cuisine, she says, is her way to offer a companion in our kitchen at home. Her recipes are doable for everybody who knows how to mix, knead, chop and owns a kitchen scale. She offers encouraging words and advice how a simple pide is turned into a luxurious snack by adding a touch of truffle, and how kebabs can be served as a refreshing dish with pistachios, chopped parsley and mint. And as much as she adapts the recipes, she never loses sight of its roots. Really,
2: for me it's so important, if I make an update to something, you have to more uh, see it like uh, in fashion you know now mm-hmm. we wear stuff we used to wear in the 90s but still with a little update but it's mm-hmm. still the 90s just because we have different resources and the time has changed the style as well mm-hmm. we have uh, we have a uh, different excess uh, access to new tex- techniques we have much no much more knowledge it's normal that that um, this is happening. But I still think it's very, very important to know the base, mm. to know the base of the story, to know where it comes from, to know the roots, to really understand what you are doing, as well out of respect, you know, mm. because someone as well um, took the time before me, if I, if I take a baklava, mm. which is like, this is like super crazy traditional. But I know from myself, for example, me, I really don't like so sweet stuff. It's really crazy. People mostly think I love desserts because mm-hmm. I really love to do desserts, and this is how I started. But it's not that I that I really want to eat something super sweet. sometimes I have a like kind of a need of sweet, yes, mm-hmm. um now much more getting older. I feel it's very dangerous too but but it's still if I have something sweet, I think it should give me the feeling of something ooh, I have to do this again, even if it was a little bit guilty, Mm -hmm. so this is something I think as well, it fits as well to our time, because um, now it's not so excessive than it used to be, you know, Mm -hmm. this this dessert is so old, and someone back then decided as well to make it as sweet as it was, you know, and now someone else maybe decides to say, hey, I've put my personal touch on it without changing the emotion of it. Mm -hmm. you know so I still want it to be baklava I still want you to see baklava but I want you to want more baklava so this is something really in the restaurant I I experienced in the beginning no one wanted to eat this dessert because everyone was like hey sorry I had it once while traveling and it was so sweet it kind of I had a sugar shock you know (laughs) like when you feel like oh my god this is too much so that's why I think sometimes a little update, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a little new dress
3: mm-hmm.
2: on the same body, same personality. It's totally fine mm-hmm. because you know still who you are. Yeah. You know?
4: For Monaco in Zurich, I'm Miriam Zumbühl.
0: Thanks to Miriam for the report. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at twenty hundred London time. That's at midday in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods for Great Recipes. And obviously you'll find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippi. Our studio engineer was Callum McLean. Once again we finish this programme with a Dinner Sounds Rock recommendation. Here is Liras with Azizam. Thanks for listening, and until next week.